Open God's words with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 3. Yes, we finished Acts chapter 2, finally. I thought we were in New Testament times, but it's like the Exodus just happened. <laughs> That's great. God is good, isn't he? Amen and amen. God is good. It's good to be here this morning. It's good to see two of you smiling. Now three, okay. Have we thrown everybody into chaos with our chair arrangements this morning? Really confused you, huh? We, we did not add any seats. We just rearranged all the ones that were in here. So looks a little different. And I, I've gotten that comment. Man, looks like a lot more seats. No, same number of seats. Now we just see how many are empty. You know, they're grouped together. So we know how many we got to fill, right? Instead of hiding here and there and spread out all over. Glad each one of you are here today. You ever do that sometimes during the week? Just catch our breath. Slow down and makes me think of Psalm 46. Our daughter that's coming home, that she and her husband are going to be missionaries to the Muslims in the Middle East. She and I talked about this several times growing up. And I, the thing I told her, I said, I said, Erica, I said, the thing your generation doesn't know or understand is how to be still and know that he is God from Psalm 46. Because you always got to have the radio going, the TV going, the earphones, the phone, whatever. And sometimes we just need to stop. We just need to be still. And when we do that, it's a lot easier to know that he is God and that he is on the throne. It make, just makes me think back to my, my camp counseling days. I probably have shared this before, but one summer after Bible college, I counseled at a camp in northern Wisconsin and I paid them $70 so that I could counsel for the summer at their camp. We didn't get paid, seriously. But the, 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 the other side to that is there were 17 days of training ahead of time. And we had to read books before we even got to that 17 days of training. And if, if you were in a, a Christian camping ministry major at the Bible college you were attending, it was the, the 17 days of training was so intense, it was worth three credit hours. But one of the things that we did on one of those days was there was enough campsites where we would do one overnight during the week with the campers. But during our training, each counselor would pick one of those sites, and one day we were to go out 
take our lunch with us and a bottle of water, and we were to spend 12 hours by ourselves with God. Wish I could do that every day. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing to be still. And, you know, and they, and they, and they taught, they walked us through it before we went. They said, these are the fate, you know, it's kind of like grief has so many stages. They said, these are the stages you're going to go through in this 12 hours. You know, you're going to go through all your prayer list and, and you're going to eat your lunch way before noontime and, and, and just kind of how the day is going to go. And then as the day wore on, just that fellowship with God just became that much sweeter because you were just being still. And being with him and, and his word. Um, don't, don't lose that during this season. Take that time to catch your breath, to take a deep sigh, to let it out, you know, and you know, I, I have to be careful when I do that if my wife's around because she thinks I'm kind of humping at her about something and that's not what it is, okay? It's just to just let it go and, you know, Release and relax. Be still and know that he is God. That was not in my notes to share, but for some reason the Lord wanted me to share that. Acts chapter 3. Last week we finished up Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. We learned that we were good good uh, New Testament biblical examples, or we as Baptists are, because they were devoted to fellowship and food. Right? That's what good Baptists do, right? <laughs> I got one amen. <laughs> All right, but they were also devoted to learning, and they were devoted to praying. And, and we talked about that in, in God's Word, there's, there's no denominations listed. And it goes back to that Philippians 2, being of one mind. Not your mind, not my mind, but the mind of Christ. That if we each focus on Christ, it'll be easier to live at peace with each other. It'll be easier to have fellowship with one another. One another. We gain strength from one another. We learn from one another. And, and I, I should stop because that was last week's message. We need to go forward. Um, in verse 43, there was a sense of awe, and we looked at that that was a, a reverential trust. And we looked at Psalm 19 in regards to that, but it also has to do with the with that reverential trust and, and respect and love for God and the fear of Him should be a hatred for evil. We need to hate evil. Oh, God's a loving God; He doesn't want us to hate anything. Wrong. He does. We need to hate evil. Okay. Don't tolerate it. Don't put up with it. Don't let it exist and, and not just coexist. We need to be angry at it. We need to be angry when we allow Satan to allow that evil to enter into our lives. That's part of taking that time to be still and know that he is God. To catch your breath and reflect and be with him and spend time with him. And they were, and we pointed a couple different places in Acts already that we have seen where it says that they were continually devoting themselves. We'll see it again in Acts 6 and then in Acts 17. I probably haven't shared my, one of my favorite verses from God's word. I think I did once, 
Let's share it again today, and then, and because I'm going to go over it and over it while we're in Acts. Acts 17.4. I'm sorry, 17.2. According to Paul's custom, he went to them for three Sabbaths, and he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He didn't reason with them from the most current politically correct polls. He didn't reason with them from psychology today. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. And that's one thing I will preach to the day I die, is this is truth. And this is what we should be preaching from. Some people like to invoke other men's names. In fact, we have some denominations given after their names. I don't think that's right. That's not what God, our our focus should be on God, not on men. And and I don't want to follow this man's teaching or this man's teaching or that man's teachings because I want to follow God's teachings from the Word of God. And if it's true here, it is sufficient for me. Now, will I study those other men? Will I learn from them? Will Will I learn what not to believe from some of them? Yes. But Spurgeon, Spurgeon had a quote. He said, um, visit, that's, that's how he said it. He said, visit, visit many good books, but live here. Okay? And, and Spurgeon's one, one that I respect. Visit many good books but live here in the Word of God. Because those other books are written by men. These were written by the Holy Spirit through men. Like I say, there's, there's many, many books that are written by men a lot wiser and smarter than me. So that's why I read them, because I want to learn from them. Visit them, live here. Okay? So holy, continually devoting themselves to learning or the teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread. They shared meals together and they shared communion together and to prayer. We cannot spend too much time in prayer. We talked about how little how little Christians pray and how little pastors pray. 50% of pastors pray less than seven minutes a week. I see you nodding your heads or shaking your heads or whatever, but the, the average person in the pew spends less than three minutes a week. So don't, you know, don't shake the finger too hard at the pastors. Although they are the shepherds and they should be the examples, so they should be a whole lot more. I agree. And they're going to be held responsible for that. We have a responsibility to spend time with God in prayer, to spend time in his word. All right, moving on to chapter 3. Peter and John, those guys teamed up quite a bit in ministry. They were fishermen together. They came on board together with, to, to minister with, when Christ called them. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So even though the Holy Spirit's come and the church has been started and instituted, there's still some of the old traditions that they're hanging on to. Just because it's a tradition doesn't mean it's bad as long as it's based on God's word. 
Okay, so some people get so hung up on traditions that that they they would adhere to a tradition more than they would adhere to the word of God. Wrong, wrong answer. Now, if your tradition is based in God's word and and this was that, it's, it's not a bad thing. Three o'clock in the afternoon, they would be going to the temple to pray. A certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. (laughs) Do, Do all of you have a map of the temple memorized in your head? So you know where Solomon's porch was and and all the gates and the courtyards and all that, right? Okay, that's all right. You're in good company. Because all the commentators I read, none of them agree on what's where. And it's kind of funny that with all the excavation they can do, oh, they agree on some of the basic things, but they, they, they go back and forth as to where he was positioned and which gate was beautiful and which gate was the, the Nikan gate. And, you know, I mean, they just... It's, it's silliness. So even as smart as all those authors are in their books and that, they, they don't all agree on everything anyhow. That's why I'm just going to stick with this one right here. But they would bring the man who was lame from birth, and he wasn't the only one, but he was one that they would carry daily and set outside the gate of the temple. He wasn't allowed to go into the temple because he was a beggar. And if he was begging, that that couldn't go on. That had to stay outside of the temple. So they would set him down, and they would beg. They and, and, and the logic and the thinking is pretty. It's actually pretty wise, pretty smart. Normally, the ones that are going into the temple are the ones that care about God. And would listen to what God had to say and would care about their fellow man. So they would be the ones more likely to, to throw a little bit in their hat or their guitar case or whatever they had sitting there. That was supposed to be funny, but that's all right. So they would come and they would beg. And this, this was obviously a, a um, hot spot, a good spot. To beg, because people that were coming to the temple were generally generous. So that when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. Now there's nothing that says that he indicated or knew who they were. They were just two men walking into the temple, and that's the cue. You start asking for alms. You start asking for help. Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Oh, he didn't know what was coming. <laughs> he was looking for a couple of coins. He began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. That's the title of the sermon. In the name of Jesus Christ. You see our songs focused on Emmanuel, God with us, and some of the names of Christ. 
Emmanuel is God with us. But here he says, in the name of Jesus Christ. He, he, he wasn't trying to take any credit for what was going to happen. He, he wasn't saying, in the name of Peter and John, get up and walk. Because he was smart enough to realize that he didn't have that kind of power. That kind of power only comes from Jesus. Only comes from Jesus. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Is there any question about what he was doing after he was healed? He was leaping and he was praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This didn't happen every day, folks. This didn't happen every day. Thomas Aquinas was a a theologian, a teacher back in the, oh, I don't know, I think 1200s. Yeah, he died in 1274. A few years before that, he was visiting the Pope in Rome. The Pope showed him all the papal dressings and the beauty and the, the, the riches and the opulence of the, the, the Vatican and all the buildings there. And the Pope says, you know, Thomas, he says, and they, they, gave, they, believed that Peter was the first pope. He says, the first pope said, I do not possess silver and gold. He says, but guess what? We do now. And he showed him all the chests of gold and silver, bragging about the riches that they had. And Thomas says, no, you can't say that, that you don't have any riches or gold. He said, but neither can you say in the name of Jesus, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Because the power was gone. The riches were there, but the power of the Holy Spirit ministering is gone. When we focus on the things of the world, the things of God go away. And Thomas Aquinas knew that, understood that. And he wasn't afraid to speak up, and he said it right to the Pope. No, you, you can't say silver and gold have I none because it was obvious he had abundance. People sent from all over the world. But neither can you say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. The power wasn't there anymore. So what about the power in our lives? Where's God's power? The same Holy Spirit that did this miracle in the name of Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that we have indwelling us if we know Jesus Christ. So where is the power? Why why do we not live in that power of the Holy Spirit? He began to give them his attention. He was expecting some coins. Instead, he received the healing of his ankles and his feet. 
Now, if any of you had to do a stress test at the hospital where they put you, you know, you, you run like a hamster on the belt and they got all sorts of gadgets hooked up to you. Now, Beth and I like to walk and exercise to stay healthy and, and we like to walk. We've got a little couple different routes around our house and there's one that's pretty, pretty easy. It's two miles and we do it fairly regularly. And so, you know, I figure this, this stress test is no big deal, right? So you get on there and, and you're, yeah, I'm cruising through that. Oh, up at the level two. Okay. Yeah. Let's go through level three. Let's go. Okay. Level four. All right. Whew, this is, whew. and you know what happens? The, the first thing, the first thing where I really feel it is the muscles in my legs because they don't normally get stressed that way. I don't walk. You know, on a conveyor belt uphill like that all the time. When we walk, it's it's leisurely at our pace, and yeah, there's some hills in that. But man, the legs—they just start to feel like rubber. And, and I, you know, the heart—the heart's doing good, and and you know, the breathing is okay. It's getting a little little heavier than it was. But they say, "How are you doing?" And I said, "Well, you know, no chest pains. I'm I'm feeling pretty good. I'm starting to perspire a little bit here." I said, "But man, my legs are going to wipe out here pretty fast." They said, yeah, that's usually what happens. I said, well, good, good company then. I guess I'm not the only one it happens to. But if we look at verse 7, seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. If any of you have had a broken leg, had a cast on or an ankle or an arm, it takes you a while to get that use back. It's, it just doesn't happen like that. When we, when we don't use it, we lose it, right? It's, it starts to atrophy, and you got, you got to build those muscles back up. But when the Holy Spirit healed him, he immediately regained that strength. There was no wobbling around trying to get his sea legs back under, land legs, whichever, get his, his feet back under him. He immediately went running into the temple, leaping and praising God. Beginning of verse 7 there, it says, Peter seized him by the right hand. See, people say, well, he wasn't really healed. He needed help getting up. Do you know why Peter reached down and gave him his hand and pulled him up? Because that's what he saw Jesus do. When Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, he took her hand and he pulled her, pulled her up out of the bed. He did, he, did, he, he did it out of love, not, not because the lame man couldn't get up without his help. But he did it out of love for Jesus because that's what he had seen Jesus do. That's what he understood the to, to, to process to be. He so said he would reach out, and it was a symbol of love, not of, not of weakness. Seized him by the right hands, helped him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. My wife reminded me last night that she looks, and she's in the nursery today, so I can say this. She looks forward to, to when I start preaching with the enthusiasm that I do, that I have when I watch a Michigan football game. I recorded the one last night. I didn't watch. I just caught a couple minutes here and there. I don't like my blood pressure getting, you know, so high or whatever. 
But this guy had some enthusiasm. I, I don't honestly don't think I've ever leapt. Well, well, maybe I jumped out of the chair at a bad call one time, so I don't know. But anyhow, this fellow knew what it was to get excited about praising God. His whole life he had been lame. And two fellows are walking into the temple, and he asks them for alms. He's looking for a couple of silver coins. And instead, he gets his legs back. Now, we, we don't have any idea how old he was, but it does say that he was a man. So he wasn't a child or a young lad. Said he'd been being carried there every day. Doesn't say for how long or how many years, but if he was born that way, and he's classified as a man, he's probably over 18 years old. There are some that speculate 40 years old, and I don't know where they get that from, but that's okay. It was a long time, anyhow, that this dude couldn't walk. And these two fellows come along. Peter says, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. He didn't just walk. He did walk. But he leapt and he praised God for what took place. Now there's some parallels that can be drawn here. The lame man was... As we as we'll draw a picture between us and the lame man, we were born in our sin, separated from God. This man was separated; he couldn't go into the temple, and so there was that separation in his life, just like we experienced that we were born with. He was born with the physical deformity as well as the same spiritual deformity that we're all born with, sin. Once he received the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to go into the temple. He was able to have communion with God. He was able to to meet with him. I need to find my notes here. He He was poor before God. He was there to ask for alms, so he was financially poor. But he was also spiritually poor, as we are, until we come to Christ. We are healed by God's power, by God's grace. There is nothing we can do in and of ourselves to save ourselves. It is only through the power of God. It is only in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, that we can be healed. And immediately when he was healed, he ran into the temple with Peter and John. He wanted to associate himself with them. When we are spiritually healed, we want to associate, one, with Jesus Christ, but we also want to associate with other believers. Said continually devoting themselves to fellowship part of this plan here. I just love, I, I, I 
Never knew Paul. I mean, I, I had heard of Paul Tripp, but before we went to that Getty conference and, and those quotes that I like to use of his is, what, what's your heart song? Your, the, your heart song is the, is the soundtrack of your life. What song comes to your mind when you're just not doing anything? Just think, or when you're cleaning or ironing or shoveling the sidewalk. What, what heart, what so, heart song comes to mind? What do you hear yourself humming and singing over? I pray that it's spiritual songs, that that is where your heart is, is in fellowship with the Lord and and wanting to take time. That that when you are doing things that don't take a whole lot of thought, that God's songs come to our heart and come to our mind, come out of our heart to our mind and our, our mouth. What's your heart song? Do you want to be associated with Jesus? Are you associated with Jesus? Do you associate yourself with him through the week? We talk about not coming back next next Sunday exactly like you are today. There should be some change in your life. How do you change each day as you walk with the Lord? Hopefully you draw closer to him. You associate with him. You spend time with him. There's a few songs that I, I want to read, and I, I was not listening to these as much as the words were coming to my mind, so I went and I, I Googled and downloaded them. You're, you're going to think I was on a Gaither binge, but I, I, I really wasn't. But it's just some of the songs that they've written and sang over the years are just so powerful. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will pass away, but there's something about that name. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove that my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know that he holds the future and life is worth the living Because he lives. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives, but greater still the calm assurance this child can face on certain days because he lives. And then one day I'll cross the river, I'll fight life's final war with pain, and then his death gives way to victory. I'll see the lights of glory, and I'll know that he reigns. He reigns. He is on the throne. The marketplace is empty. No more traffic in all the streets. All the builders' tools are silenced. No more time to harvest wheat. Busy housewives cease their labors in the courtroom. No debate. Work on earth is all suspended as the king comes through the gate. 
Oh, the king is coming, the king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. Oh, the king is coming, the king is coming. Praise God, he's coming for me. Happy faces line the hallways. Those whose lives have been redeemed. Broken bones that he has mended. Those from prison he has freed. Little children and the aged hand in hand stand all aglow who were crippled, broken, ruined, clad in garments white as snow. Oh, the king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. I hope that you can sing that in your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power in the name of Jesus. The power that healed this lame man. And thank you that Peter and John gave you all the glory, Father. And we look forward to your coming. Thank you, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.